Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Tom, the CTO and founder of Firefly Aerospace, and we discuss the journey leading to their upcoming rocket launch, why you must be a fan of doing difficult things to be a successful entrepreneur, and what we can expect the future of space travel to look like. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. How you doing, Tom? Good. Nice to meet you. This is exciting. We're gonna have a great time. Are you pumped up? <laughs> hey, um, working on rockets. You know, I'm pumped up every day. <laughs> I know. I just actually watched the video of the SpaceX test explosion yesterday. How yeah. did that make you feel? It's it's very inspiring. Obviously, I think uh, anyone involved in this profession to see stuff on that scale going on is really cool. Of course, I was an early SpaceX employee, so um, there's always some connection, you know, I feel back to what they're doing. Yeah. And because now you have your own space company, what happens when you do a, a test like that? You get a bunch of data that you can, I read in an article that you get a bunch of useful data. And what is that just to like make sure it doesn't crash the next time? Well, you, you'll gener you'll generate terabytes of data um, you'll go back to what your what your goals were for the test to begin with, and first of all, you'll uh, determine you know whether you got all the data you needed to evaluate whether you met your goals or not. So that's kind of the first level, and then the next level is to look for anomalous things in the data that would suggest there were problems that that were not anticipated. So that, that's those are the two major things. And like when you were, you got to work at these other companies, what inspired you at what point were you like, I want to go do my own thing? Well, really, um, my background is in, is really a technologist. Uh, you know, I have a PhD in, in uh, aerospace and, and mechanical engineering, but primarily working on plasma physics from Princeton. And I always thought I'd be working on warp drive and things like that. Uh, I learned eventually that for all that cool stuff to, to, see the light of day or the light of the sun really you needed to figure out how to get to space first so we had to really lick this this getting to orbit problem and met elon and and got to participate in the first launch of falcon one way back and um realized that something new and transformative was going on here and that i could spend my energy and really substantively contribute by helping that to happen but after we were successful it uh, became clear to me that it needed to be about a movement, not about just SpaceX. Um, so I decided to go out and try to help the next company become the next SpaceX. And I worked for a couple of really cool companies, but I, I just didn't really feel like they were going to reproduce the magic. So um, it was at that point that I uh, kind of made the leap of faith and decided to, to start Firefly. It was never like the long-term plan or anything like that. It just, it just, after those, those experiences, just it became clear to me that if there was going to be another SpaceX, I had to be uh, proactive and go and doing it myself. Because of the culture, right? Like the people. It's a it's a lot of blend of, of things. Um, you know, if I were to kind of characterize SpaceX in just a couple words, it would be you know applying a, a Silicon Valley development approach to aerospace, and um, Elon did that in just an extraordinary way. And uh, I haven't seen anyone uh, uh, since then do it. And so that's what we're trying to do here at, at Firefly. And to be clear, we're not trying to build a 
company that's competitive with SpaceX, we're looking at a whole different niche of the market, a rapidly growing niche of the market, uh, but just trying to create a, a company that um, has the diverse uh, technology portfolio, the cost structure, and the spirit of, of what they're doing. They also look really cool. When I got to see your vehicles, we were sharing them around in our Slack channels and we were like the, the test fires and stuff. They just looks, it just sounds like, like a kid in the candy shop. Like sounds so much fun. It is absolutely. We're really fortunate to live at a time when there's this real renaissance in space. If you think about in the past, everyone that was interested in this, you had to like land a job at NASA or you know, some big aerospace company to be involved, but now you literally have grassroots efforts to go to space going on, which is just nothing like this has ever happened in history. So it's just a really incredible time to be living and working uh, on space right now. Now, when you started, did you self-fund? Did you raise capital? How did it start? Yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I, th I think I'm a pretty good engineer, uh, not a very good uh, businessman, or it certainly started with like no experience. So. Uh, had to learn along the way, uh, but you know I surrounded myself with some financially savvy people. But yes, Firefly started very much like uh, any other uh, startup. So you have your seed investors, which ends up ends up being a lot of friends and family, and you have that seed round. The thing that's different about rockets is it's super capital intensive. So I'm here in Austin, Texas, which is just an awesome place for for building companies, and there's just all kinds of startup activity going on and I went to some of those groups and was hanging out with them and you know it just became very clear to me that I was doing something very different when you're in those groups and they're talking about you know really trying to close their seed round and it's $200,000 and my seed round was $20 million <laughs> that I was trying to close you know and it's like so my first my first business endeavor turned out to be probably one of the most capital intensive intensive and risky business ventures that you can conceive of doing. So it's really been kind of a, a true bath by fire. And uh, we've had our ups and downs along the way, believe me. And so what, what's the business model? Is it shipping? Is it infrastructure play? Like what, what's the business model? How do you make money? Well, um, we provide a service and the need for services is rapidly growing. There's projected to be about 100,000 satellites launched in the next decade. Of doing all kinds of amazing things for, for humanity and, and all kinds of business and defense and exploration opportunities. The one thing that all of those applications have in common is the need for space transportation, how to get there. So we really focused Firefly, at least initially, very much on the space transportation problem. And um, the first part of that is the launch vehicle, getting from the Earth to Earth orbit uh, the next part is moving around in space. And then the third part is landing on a foreign body like the moon. So at Firefly, we've, we're trying to pr provide end-to-end -end solutions. So all three of those facets of the mission, we can support from one company. So we have, for example, our Alpha launch vehicle, which is going to launch next month, which, woo, I mean, <laughs> that's nice. been years, years in the making. Uh, but also on that first Alpha flight, we're flying what we call our, our SUV, Space Utility Vehicle. So that is uh, a in-space transportation vehicle that allows you to um, go to higher orbits with your satellite or go to the moon or you know, do servicing or refueling, all kinds of things. So the prototype of that is actually flying on our first flight as well. And then the third piece is we have a Genesis, what's called our Genesis Lander, 
which is a lunar lander that can take payloads up to about 150 kilograms to the surface of the moon. We're part of a uh, group of companies that have been writing proposals for those missions, and and one of those is actually going to be awarded likely this this month. So we're we're uh, excited and enthusiastic, hopeful that we'll get that Genesis contract. And so and next year, you're looking at really Firefly, you know, A to Z, realizing that end-to-end -end dream of, of space transportation. So transportation is the focus. If you have the ability to get to space, you have the keys to space. And very few companies, governments in the world have the keys to space, very few. So when you have that, then you can start thinking about doing all kinds of uh, diverse business ventures in space. And again, you look at SpaceX, you know, they have the launch vehicle, then the Dragon spacecraft, then the Human Dragon spacecraft, and now um, Starlink satellites. So they're really filling out that that ecosystem, business ecosystem as well. And so we plan on following a similar path. Uh, we don't have any aspirations for building, you know, large-scale uh, satellite constellations or anything like that. But we're really going to master the the transportation part of it again, end to end, which is different. So I just want to. Make sure everybody realizes Firefly is not just about launch vehicles. It's about the whole the whole journey. Where are you launching from? So our initial launch will be from Vandenberg Air Force Base this um, you know, the beginning of next year. But we're also building or getting ready to build up our launch complex 20 at Cape Canaveral. And we're also in discussions to uh, deploy launch capability in, in uh, internationally. That's pretty cool. So if you want to launch like a Cape Canaveral, do you just call them up and pay them a fee for the for the bay or whatever it's called? Or how do you how do you get the ability to launch? It's it's a partnership, really. Um, you know, it's a very complicated, dangerous business. So there are all kinds of regulations, which are you know in there for a good, for good reason. They're not just you know handicapping you. Um, but it's it's a process, long conversations, going through everything initially from environmental impact studies. Like, okay, we're going to go do this. You know, what's, how's that going to affect the natural environment around there? And that goes all the way up to you know building, construction, safety protocols in place, and then the actual um, hazards associated with the rocket flying around. It's a huge amount of work that goes in up front. But then, yes, eventually you do end up on launch day, and you you pretty much pay daily to do what's called bringing up the range. And that's them going in, uh, the government going in, setting up their radar stations, their communication capability, making sure that if uh, the rocket gets off course, that, that, it, that it can be um, uh, destroyed and you know before it impacts anything uh, of value or, or where people are. So um, that's how they get involved on the launch day. The neat thing is that that everything is moving toward autonomous systems. So what that means is at some point, you won't have to have that oversight of the rocket. The rocket is programmed, has its own onboard equipment to make its own decisions about whether it's you know got a problem and, and to take care of it itself. And that's really gonna dramatically lower the uh, requirement for the range to, to have as many people are involved in every launch. And it will also, I think, increase the ability for these ranges to, to have more launches from more companies more frequently because um, there's just less human uh, inter interaction involved. And the last thing I'd say on that is that the FAA is also involved in this since you're flying around and you have to make sure you know flight quarters are cleared and things like that. And uh, uh, General Monteef at 
that the FAA has really been kind of instrumental in modernizing that and trying to get launch vehicles treated in the same system that other aircraft moving around in airspace are treated so that you can kind of streamline that. It's not like a special thing. It's just another, you know, aircraft going through through some flight space that that needs to be scheduled with everything else that's moving around. Oh, that's pretty cool. That yeah. makes sense though, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's just another vehicle in the air coming in and out. It's just the altitude and the position of it. Yeah. Hmm. So when you were going through like your initial business, was it all smooth sailing or did you have like rough moments getting it off the ground? Oh, it's, it's been, a, it's been uh, six years of continual rough moments. <laughs> it's never been easy. And, and it never, uh, from day one, it's been super hard. And, uh, uh, um, it's all, I mean, it's just, I think a constant in the universe though. It's an extraordinary thing to be able to be able to even work on this sort of stuff. But, um, it's like Ringo Starr said in this, in the song, if you, if you want to sing the blues, you got to pay your dues and, uh, it's incredibly hard work. It's, um, it's incredibly expensive. Like I said, um, I've had to raise now, um, I'm over $200 million to do this and to get people to sign up to do that takes a lot of trust. And um, so the technical challenges are obvious, they're difficult, but to some extent, that's just a matter of having experience and iterating, effect, be working effectively as a team. So there are these internal challenges, but then the external challenges, which really where the, the funding comes into focus, that, that that's even more challenging because to a large extent you can't, you know, control that. You you have to go out there and, and sell. So there's a lot of selling involved in this, and maybe to an extent that I didn't realize, but you're always selling people on the vision. You're always also just differentiating, right? Because in the marketplace of ideas out there, people have money, they have to choose, right? So there's uh, a lot of you know, selling and differentiating yourself amongst amongst your competitors. Then there's you know the regulatory aspects of it too. You have to jump through a lot of hoops. You know there's a lot of regulation associated what with what we're doing. Um, so that's kind of a constant uh, thing that you're working on. The other challenge I'd say is on the external entities is working with um, external vendors. You know, we're, we are what you call very vertically integrated, which means we build our rocket engines, we design them, we test them to a very large extent, and we're able to control cost and schedule really well through that vertical integration. But there are parts of the system that we don't control, that we buy from others. And uh, very often you find that they just don't have the same mindset as you do as to what constitutes a reasonable price, what constitutes a reasonable schedule, uh, you know, and how accountable we should be to holding the schedule and things like that. So that can be an incredible frustration when you just find some vendor that you're critically relying on that's just like, meh, we're not too worried about it. And you're like, my company's, you know, spending, you know, millions of dollars a week. I, I can't just take a six week hit because, you know, you guys are just getting around to it. So yeah, I'll tell you what, man, this is not, uh, this is not, not business for some someone that's interested in leading a comfortable uh, life, <laughs> but 
it's, again, I just go back to it's like the way the universe works. If you want to do something meaningful, it's gonna it's gonna be hard. Yeah, it takes work. You got to apply the energy, perform work, and get a result. Yeah, but you got to believe that it ultimately in the end it will it'll all be worth it. And I think the really you know the world owes Elon so much. I mean, I really think of him as the the you know the Henry Ford of our time, and the fact that he did SpaceX. And he gave people like me the opportunity to see where it could all end up. You know, I'm not going blindly forward, suffering every day and with all these challenges, just, you know, thinking maybe something cool will happen. I've seen it. You know, I've had my fingerprint my, on things that I'm watching floating around in space. So I know it's possible. So he's given so many people that opportunity so that we can have second generation companies like ours that that know what where we're going with confidence if we, if we work hard enough and we stick with it so these problems that i was reading about your company and i was reading about these and as you were discussing these problems i can't stop thinking about the company stripe do you know what stripe is they're like credit card processing company no i haven't heard of them okay so they're big in like the software as a service type world uh basically they it was very, before Stripe, it was very, very difficult to do credit card processing integrations as an engineer, right? Because my background is software uh, for the past 17 years. And so it was really painful and difficult. And then Stripe came out. They were, I think, I think they're brothers or cousins or something, but they uh, built just an amazing API and made it ultra easy. So it took my job from an incredible amount of hours down to like, I could process transactions almost instantly, like in the same day, right? And they have, they have grown over the past, like, I don't know, seven plus years. And they're like all billionaires now. It's, it's the largest, I think it's the largest credit card processing solution out there. But what they, where they won was making it easy for the engineers. And they essentially looked at themselves as like an infrastructure company. Like we build the pipes and the everything, and then people build on top of us. Um, and so as you're describing all these difficulties with being reliant on vendors and things like that, have you ever thought, uh, you know, and you're raising money and you've got competitors and they're saying, why should we invest in you over your competitors? And there's a bunch of other companies. And you said earlier, there's like the keys to, sp it's like the key is to get up there, right? That's mm -hmm. like step one. And then all the opportunity comes. Have you ever thought about like an infrastructure business model play where you, where you're building these components like near cost, but enough to make some profit. So it's like reasonable. So all of these other second generation, third generation companies, which is buy your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a, a concept called Firefly Market where we will have a e-commerce site where you can, like in Kerbal Space Command, put together your spaceship and, and order the parts and you're going to get them you know, hopefully the next day. I definitely have a vision for that. I think there's a huge need for like a, a new space OEM company where you can just go and get those piece parts. I mean, it's crazy in rockets. You know, we build our own rocket engines, we build, you know, our own structures, everything, valves, everything from scratch. You know, if you and I were going to go start an aircraft company tomorrow and I said, you know, hey, uh, oh, yeah, first we're going to have to invent the turbojet engine. You'd be like, <laughs> no, this is crazy. You know, we just go buy that from General Electric or Pratt & Whitney. But it's not the case in rockets, which are even more complicated. It's like, okay, we're starting with, you know, rocket science 101. So we absolutely want to sell rocket engine. Will we will sell rocket engines? We will sell all the pieces you need to build the, these sorts of vehicles, and we'll make it highly available, and we will make it 
very low cost. Um, so that's definitely a dream of mine. So thanks for, for bringing that up. And that's another thing that uh, I think will, will differentiate us and will really catalyze this. Remember I said I went into this because there needed to be no more SpaceX's in the world. And having that type of um, availability of the equipment needed to do it could really catalyze there to be even more and more of these companies in the world. And uh, I'm, to some extent, I'm, I'm not super competitive by nature because I really think, you know, when we look back at what we're doing, this will be looked at as a kind of a time in history where everything changed. And to some extent, we're all kind of brothers in arms in, in that change. So, you know, I'm happy to see all kinds of uh, companies coming up like this. And also, just because I know what they've been through, I know how hard it is. And anybody that's involved in this, whether they're a competitor or not, I, I hold in high regard and have respect for because I, I know what they're going through to, to try to make it happen. And, and these are people that aren't, um, that aren't um, sensitive to the seduction of comfort. You know, <laughs> they're laying it all out there and, and living life to the fullest and hardest. Well, because I always like to say it's because it's like Tuesday or whatever day of the week it might be. It's it's after you get to a certain point and you do enough difficult things and you realize like the feeling of growth versus just sitting around and doing nothing. It's it's like you just have to get up every day and do some good work and on top of that, grow yourself. So I'm a fan of doing difficult things. I like how Musk describes it. He says uh, like entrepreneurship. It's like staring into the abyss and eating glass. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, the way the way he puts it, it's actually really um, that's a great quote for him. But there, there is a preamble to that. And he basically says, when you start a company like this, the first year, it's magic. Everybody's like, Woo! you know, high fives. So we're space adventurers. Exciting. But it's like when you get to year two, that's when you're like you're on the edge of the abyss chewing glass because now you're burning millions of dollars and you don't have a lot of friends and thing and things are blowing up and uh, uh, it's a really good description <laughs> on the on the phone with with your your backers making them happy and easing their concerns and all of this extra overhead that you didn't really see before but you just have to roll with it yeah and then you got a lot of people out there who are just basically lying about their capabilities and 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 where they are developmentally i mean as much as I say I respect everybody that works on this and it's hard, there's just a lot of, a lot of uh, misinformation out there and and just really overly ambitious statements about schedules, you know, like, oh, yeah, we're flying next year. And, you know, I can qualitatively look at where they are. I'm like, dude, you're not flying for five years, you know. So so you get the investors and backers are like, well, they're flying next year. Why aren't you? You know, it's like because they're making it up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So how, how far, how long has it taken you to get to from when you started day one to first launch date? And this isn't test launch. This is like actual launch because you're launching and then you have your secondary aircraft or it's not aircraft, your secondary spacecraft in as the payload, correct? Yeah. How long has that been? So um, if you go back and look at the history of Firefly, I started a company, Firefly Space Systems in 2014. And that company folded, went bankrupt in like two years. So I had to start all over. So I started all over in May of 2017. So this company, Firefly Aerospace, it's been three and a half years for us to get there. So that'd be like world record. Nobody has moved as quickly as we have from zero to 
our fourth, first fully flight qualified vehicle in, in such a short period of time. That's amazing. How, how did you come up with the name? So a little bit of a long story, but um, when I was ruminating with my last employer that they weren't going to be the next SpaceX, um, I was back on my back porch um, of my home in California, which was up on a mountainside, and it was so beautiful, our backyard. My wife would hold weddings back there for people. Uh, it was just such a beautiful environment. And she had all these lights up in the in the live oak trees in the backyard, and the flickering lights. And it was, it was getting to dusk, and I just saw them flickering, and I thought, oh, that, you know, they look like fireflies. I'm from Ohio originally, and we have fireflies all over. And um, I, I also just kind of in my head, I had this vision in the future, like when people are going to Mars, maybe like when they went to the West, they would go in these Conestoga wagons and, and caravans of these wagons, and then maybe in the 21st century that would look like they're all staged in low earth orbit and then all these rockets light up in low earth orbit as they all head out to mars and how it would look like like fireflies and that was kind of this idea that was going around in my head and then i was like i've got to go start a company to do this because i'm not happy with the way things are going with the folks i'm working for what am i going to name the company and in I had already been thinking about fireflies because I'd seen all this. And then I just, the, the, the words of fire flying, like you're flying on fire, you know, the image or imagery of it I, was irresistible. So that's where I came up with it. And um, others had asked me like, oh yeah, like the television show, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I'd never seen it. But oh, I, I haven't actually, either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I went back and watched, there was a, a year that there's like a cult classic series called Firefly and that's about space cowboys and stuff. And, and I, I think, yeah, it actually kind of resonated and like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, let's go to Texas and be space cowboys. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. You gave me goosebumps when you said sitting on Mars and seeing all the rocket engines and it looking like fireflies. That was like a very easily translatable, like visualization for me. Sorry. It's a long story, but that's, that's, no, really it's great. Point. This is what we do. We just hang out. The idea for this show is we just kind of like hang out and we just talk like as if we were out lunch or whatever. And then our producers and stuff, they'll edit everything up and make us sound smarter than we are. So that works okay. really well. Uh, <laughs> so is, is Gamma, uh, so Firefly Gamma, is that the, uh, the in-space vehicle? No, the in-space vehicle is called a SUV, um, um, space utility vehicle. It uses solar electric propulsion. It's very efficient. It's reusable. It just sits out there. It's kind of like the Uber for space. It sits out there when a ride, a ride is called up, it goes, picks up the ride, takes it to where it needs to go, and then it goes back to low Earth orbit and waits for the next next passenger. And there could be, you know, a swarm of these of these uh, SUVs sitting out there waiting to do that sort of mission. Now, Gamma is would be kind of my magnum opus, um, and, and I'm getting older, but um, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get the resources to go and do Gamma soon uh, because I think ultimately we need to move away from these these sticks going up and down in, in the air. I mean, just yesterday we saw, you know, SpaceX, you know, the hazards of vertical landing, you know, powered vertical landing is is rough. And, you know, I don't know if I would want to be in something that's doing a backflip, you know, a few hundred feet above the ground, slamming on the brakes with rocket engines. And you, know, you can see what happened. <laughs> it's really hard. And I take my hand off to those guys. I mean, it's extraordinary. I, but I just don't agree with the, the basic paradigm. And I think the future should be about uh, aircraft-like operations. I think if aliens came down uh, from space right now and looked around, said, wow, you guys have been like flying air airplanes around a lot. That's great. You have thousands or tens of thousands of airports and, and what, well, hold on, what are you doing to get to space? You have a few 
locations, these things don't look anything like this other, you know, area that you've perfected in flight. So why don't you just soup up an airplane to get to space instead of uh, doing it this this other inconvenient way where you're slamming on the brakes with rockets, you know, come, you know, glide in, use the air around you, don't fight it. Glide in, use aerodynamic braking instead of rocket engines. The air is free. The rocket thrust is not free, and the rocket thrust, as you can see, is not necessarily 100% reliable. So I really like a paradigm where you use the air to gently come in, land on a runway, and I also like the ability of, to go down a runway because you can couple energy to the vehicle from the ground while you're going down a runway in a way that obviously you can't with a typical launch vehicle. Once you leave the launch pad with a normal rocket, it's hands off, right? And if you look at a vehicle like Alpha, it in to get Alpha moving about 200 miles per hour, it takes about 25% of its fuel, okay? Now, if I'm going down a runway and I attach myself to an electric sled or something like that, I can get the rocket plane going 200 miles per hour and I never burned a single ounce of rocket fuel because I'm able to couple that energy from a ground-based system to achieve that first initial boost. Um, so again, I think that uh, is an advantage. You know, the disadvantages of carrying wings around, extra weight and things, but those can be uh, mitigated by the fact that you can couple energy from the ground on launch and you can um, utilize the, Earth's, the atmosphere to bleed away energy and the last aspect that I really want to explore is to the air is not only just a fluid that can be used for viscous drag and lift, but it also has rocket fuel and it. it has oxygen in it. So why don't we just push it out of the way? Why don't we, like we do in aircraft, suck it into the engines and utilize that oxygen for propulsion? So that's, you know, air breathing propulsion, high speed air breathing propulsion, scramjets, ramjets, hypersonic propulsion, these things, you know, we've, we've worked on but no one is ever employed in a space launch vehicle. So uh, if I have an opportunity and, and this current work doesn't kill me, <laughs> which some days it feels <laughs> like it will, I'm certain I'll have the energy to, to go do something that I, I find, would find, like I said, that would be the, the magnum opus uh, to, of my career to, to be able to do that type of paradigm changing uh, uh, architecture. And, and, and I actually think I'm pretty close to figuring out a way to, to be able to go do that. So stay tuned. <laughs> what What's your like fitness and nutrition schedule like given, I mean, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I work very hard and I say that I train like an athlete for the work I do, right? Because it's just, it's incredibly intensive from the stress, the finances, being responsible for employees and their families and as an income stream. And there's just so much weight, you know, experience helps you manage it better, but for me, I've just come up with strict like nutrition and, and fitness routines that make it so that the stress is manageable, right? So I have a quality of life. Um, you are same position, but just larger scale. Like, are you doing stuff for that? Like, how do you handle it? No, um, I, I probably sleep, you know, five or six hours a day. And uh, um, I try to take like Sunday off, uh, or at least part of it. Yeah, but... Uh, my wife and I try to walk a few miles every 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 day. I try to make sure I don't get overweight. I really think like antioxidants are are, are pretty powerful. That's something I, I I take antioxidants. I drink a lot of tea, 
and you know I'm 50 years old. I don't feel like I'm 50 years old. I don't I don't think I look terrible for 50 years old, despite the fact that I don't <laughs> do a lot to take care of myself. Definitely, you know I don't do things. I think like drinking and smoking and stuff can really like add years onto you unnecessarily. So just avoiding that kind of stuff, I think, is probably beneficial. But then again, it's, there's so much genetics, in, you know that. I'm, I'm lucky. I, you know, I'm thin and uh, kind of naturally, and I don't have to don't have to work at it, which is which is nice. So I got a freebie there at least. I, I mean, I don't know. I think that's debatable too. Like I, I think a lot about that because I used to be very overweight, and and like the stuff you say to yourself when you're very overweight, it's 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 fascinating. Like the way the mind works and adapts. And but uh, yeah, I, genetics is definitely a part of it. But I've also found like people that I've talked to that have been thin their entire lives, like a lot of them just got, had good eating habits from day one. Like they just learn, they learn their body better and they just were raised in an environment where they figure that just be, it's like a subconscious thing. It's just like a learned behavior for them on the amount to eat correctly. And then I had learned the wrong amount <laughs> to yeah. eat and yeah. my behavior. Yeah. Well, the beauty of relationships in life, which ultimately I think relationships are the most important thing in the universe and ultimately relationship with God, I think is, you know, the, the biggest and most important relationship. But anyway, I think in my life and for my health, I've really benefited from the relationship with my wife. You know, we've known each other since we're 10 years old. She's very fitness conscious. She's very food conscious. And so she's taking care of me a lot and she's what she brings into the house uh, has had a huge influence on on my health. So I've kind of gotten, a, a, again, I've lucked out that I, I haven't had to, to worry about as much because I have my partner in life. Uh, she's, you know, totally on top of that kind of stuff in a way that I never was. And I kind of, uh, just by association, <laughs> I get to reap the benefits of that. That's amazing, right? When your partners like have different strengths and can see that's yeah. that's why you're in weight and healthy is because she's making sure you get the right macro. It's, it's absolutely right, <laughs> and there's, there's there's so many things, yeah. So we've uh, you know been together over thirty years as a couple, and uh, you're definitely your personalities and, and characteristics kind of meld after a while, and there are a lot of things I can see in myself that are are her definitely. I don't see Do you have kids. Yeah. yeah, we have four kids and uh, we um, she's an adventurer and she's put up with a lot. We've had uh, four children, all four born in different states along the journey. And, and um, yeah, so I have one, one uh, daughter who's a student at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland and then three boys. That. Oh, nice. Any of them working at Firefly? My, the um, one of my, my eldest son, he, he's not working here. He, he does projects here. He's a student at the University of Texas at Austin. So he comes and does uh, some side projects here with some of the engineers here. But uh, I don't I don't think any of them are really going to be rocket scientists, which is okay, because there are all kinds of cool things to do in the world. But at least maybe they caught the you know spirit of doing cool things in the world. No, oh, for sure. How has how has your faith like helped with your business or connected mm -hmm. with your business at all? Uh, it's everything. I mean, I'm a big believer in providence. I think I don't think there are accidents in the world. I think I'm built to do this um, for on a number of levels, and um, I just really think one of the the biggest goals in life is just to kind of understand God's will and align yourself with it. And if you're doing that, then then it's just 
the most natural state of being to be in and, and, it, and it just feels right. Despite all the hardships and every, everything else, um, you persevere through all that because, because you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's a super empowering. And, uh, and you know, along the way, I've, I've definitely seen miraculous things. I, I don't think it's, I don't think we should all be like looking around for miracles and, and things like that to, to motivate us. But I can't say along the way, I had some just extraordinary uh, experiences I can look back on and just say, here's a day where God was just like, okay, son, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, show you that I'm, I'm involved. And, uh, and those things, uh, I, I'm very grateful because they do have a way of sustaining you through other situations where you're just down and you can look back on that. And you just saw kind of the hand of God involved. And, uh, and, and you know that, that you can have that confidence that, that that's, that's always there. So I, I don't think um, there's no way if I had not, you know, become a believer that, that I could have done any of these things, or I think even really had a productive life, frankly, and, uh, and it, this didn't happen for me until I, a little bit later, you know, I was like 23 years old when, all this, when I had my kind of conversion experience. And just in a very unexpected way, I, I really wasn't looking for it. I wasn't in any bad situation. It just, it just it was like grabbed me and said, okay, things are going to be different now. We're going to go do this. And uh, uh, that was kind of the first miraculous experience that just kind of set me on, on my way. So it's really, really influenced me too um, in other ways, like just uh, building teams and working with people. I just, a few core things I believe, you know, that all people pretty much have equal value in God's eyes. And when you look at every person that way, you know, you can, you could easily like, oh, I have a PhD from Princeton and oh, I've, you know, raised hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm such, you know, that really doesn't make me any better in, in God's eyes than, than the guy here who's, who's, cleaning the toilet or whatever. We're all just a bunch of guys and gals trying to do, go do a really cool thing. And the other thing is, I think it's super important is that to realize that I think God put us all here to build each other up, not tear each other down. And then there are lots of, lots of inclinations to get, you know, gossipy and, and, and to look at people's faults and, and to verbalize that and to always have that that voice, you know, in your conscience and in your mind that says, you are here to build people up. I came here to build people up and, you know, you're going to follow in that tradition. I think that's very impactful in how you interact with people and, and, and how you can build, ultimately build strong teams that are, that are based on strong relationships and, and respect. People feel it. Yeah. Uh, when you feel like you're in line with your purpose and what you're supposed to be doing and like all of a sudden the the hindsight becomes really clear and you realize you're on this track and you just, that's like the best feeling in the world, like feeling in sync with, with life, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it all starts with um, kind of, I think, just being obedient and getting up every day and, 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 go, and, and sloughing off the bad any of the bad thoughts that may be in your mind and, and going out and doing it. So, you know, every one thing I, I one kind of um, habitual thing I do every day is I, I get up and there have been times literally where I've had to like take the left arm and throw it out of the bed to like get the body to roll out just because <laughs> it's just like 
I mean, I've had so many, I've been getting, you know, getting sued by people, getting, you know, just all kinds of things. And it's just like, oh, the weight. But anyway, one, one thing I do every day is, is I get up and I neatly make my bed. And it's, for me, it's a statement to like the universe that like, I'm here and I'm very purposefully going to, you know, put things in, in order today. And, I, and I, I'm not just going to drag my butt through, through life. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go out with a good attitude, a constructive attitude. And that, that's been really good for me because I do, as I'm doing that, it, it just makes that go through my head every day. That simple little thing. I'm going to put this in order. And I'm not like a meat freak or anything, believe me. Um, you should see the inside of my car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but just that purposefully doing that, it just kind of sets the tone for me uh, every day. It reminds me of how I should, how I should think about things in that day going forward. I do that too. Yeah. My, my dad was in the air force. And so he yeah. taught us to do that and I did it for a while and then I didn't do it for a while. And then I heard I, this YouTube general giving a graduation speech and he says, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. Mm. So you got all these kids out there that are like, I'm going to move here and become this type of, you know, person or go to this country and serve or do this or that. He's like, well, you're not even waking up and making your bed like consistently every morning. And <laughs> that just stuck with me. And so for, it's been about, you know, four, four or five years since I started again. But uh, yeah, waking up every day, getting out of bed, making the bed. And then when you get home, getting home to a made bed is the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of this. We're interesting creatures. There's just a lot of uh, things that subliminally that go through our mind by our environment. And, and I'm very purposeful in environment and putting together environments like our company. You know, I think if you come here, you'll see, you know, cool symbols and uh, images and, and, you know, colors and different types of media playing and different things like that. Because I, I think it, it, you know, we, we are influenced by what we see around us pretty more strongly than maybe we would think. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm relocating out to Texas uh, in the middle of this, this coming year. So we were just out there a couple of times taking a look at different places, different cities. We, we kind of like the Plano area. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah. I, th it's, I think it's, it's quite a few hours from Austin. It's probably like seven or eight hours, I think. But well, did you look at Austin? I, we looked at the home prices in Austin. <laughs> it's been going up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I don't know if like, you've seen it in the media that you know, Elon is supposedly moving everything. I did. Yeah. Yeah, he said he's moving the companies and, and he, he uh, compared like California to like someone who had gotten f like fat and lazy or something. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm a pathfinder. I, I was the first one here to Austin. <laughs> we'll there you see what go. Happens. <laughs> so as we start to wrap up, I was just curious. Um, I remember that you know hearing specifically Elon talk about like the cost per pound coming down being like a critical factor. Do you have an estimate of what the cost per pound today is to get something into space, and where where is it going? Yeah, I mean it, it varies from about um let's say five thousand dollars a pound to one thousand dollars a pound is kind of the range now now as you get into the bigger and bigger rockets you can lower the cost per pound to to orbit but you know that's one place that i disagree with with elon i think in that it's not all about the bigger 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 rocket um, you can think about the analogy to between um, transportation here you know, how many people are going to jump on the city bus, which can carry 100 people versus dial up the Uber, right? So the, the Uber is going to be more expensive. 
oh, no one should ever use Uber. No, that's not the way it works. Schedule, going to the right place, you know, are important to a lot of people. For some people, the bus works just, just fine. Um, but that's, I think, a really real analogy for what's going on in space. It's not just about building a bigger bus. Um, it's also serving customers that have a different type of requirements that are more important than just the cost. Cost is important, but it's it's not the only thing that's important. And indeed, for some customers, it's of secondary importance to uh, going where they want to go, when they want to go. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about like the bus or subway systems, they get you near where you want to be. And unless if you have someone else, you don't have two legs like in the <laughs> <laughs> and space right. to walk your equipment around. So you've got to figure out a way to get it to the exact location, uh, like last yeah. mile delivery. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you have to go stand and wait at the bus stop or whatever too. And you, you, know, you may not want to do that. In some cases you may. But uh, so I think there's a lot of room for a lot of different size vehicles and uh, you know, multiple players in, in, in this business for, for sure. And so do you, so you guys are focused on like, the exact positioning that's what you want to do we want to do um small to medium size payloads uh both all the whole end-to-end -end transportation like i said elon and jeff are focused on the very big payloads so there's this whole area of small to medium that's really vacant right now and we want to build a spacex like company that's addressing that market that is not adequately served by those big rockets and, and spacecraft that, that those other two guys are building. So one of the advantages is, is the time and the, and the place uh, convenience. Uh, but there are, there are um, other, other advantages to, to what we're doing. Some customers just don't wanna ride with other customers. They're sensitive about it. Take for example, military. They very much just want their own vehicle. They don't want other people walking around looking at it while you know other things are being put around it. The other people that have something so valuable that they don't want it to be jeopardized by someone else's thing sitting right next to it that does a backflip and runs into theirs or something. So there's just all kinds of scenarios like that hmm. where that more dedicated um, kind of white glove service is, is better. Um, but then even for deploying large numbers of satellites, that's where the medium launch vehicle can actually be competitive with the large launch vehicle too. Because say you want to put a, a thousand satellites up in space, but you want them distributed all around the earth. You don't want to go up and just puke out a thousand in one spot. And then like, how do they all get distributed? You know, that can be challenging. So if you can instead divide it up in 10 flights of a hundred each and um, do it with a smaller launcher, and put them in their proper uh, planes, that could actually be a more efficient and economical way to do even large-scale deployments. So I hope that answers your question, but it's, 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 it's just about, there is no one-size-fits-all approach for space access. So I, I was curious, I was, I've been asking this question to a couple people. I'm just a fan of space. I am not like a space engineer type person, but I was curious to know, do you think that Mars will be like colonized with a hundred plus people or do you think I'm going to ask you which one's going to come first. So Mars colonized with a hundred plus people or like large, like space hotels that have like gravity, which is going to come first. If you had to guess, I think neither. I think colonization of the moon will happen first. 
And I think colonization of the moon will be a precursor to those two other scenarios that, that you mentioned. Now, the two amazing guys in the world out there, Jeff and Elon, are going to achieve the latter two things, the things that you mentioned. Jeff will focus on building the large-scale infrastructure around the Earth. You know, I've heard him talk about the actual surface of the Earth being the vacation destination in the future. You know, it's, but every, all the rest of us are out living in space, working in space. And, and he's really set his, his mind and his wealth on achieving that. Elon, on the other hand, has always been about Mars. And I think, uh, I have no doubt that in, in our lifetime that we'll see uh, SpaceX-led missions to Mars. You know, how things evolve beyond that is, you know, any, anyone's guess. Uh, but I think those are things you can expect. But with NASA's re-emphasis on the moon, learning to live in space for both the space station scenario and the remote Mars scenario, uh, the moon provides a great uh, learning environment for that. So I think that's why we'll see that kind of flourish first. Are they going to be able to like simulate gravity on the moon? Well, you have about one sixth the gravity of, of Earth on the moon already. And believe me, some gravity is, is, is a whole different animal than no gravity at all. At least when you put things down, they'll stay there. <laughs> Even if with one sixth of the gravity, they won't just things floating all over the place. So I don't think there's a need to simulate gravity. It's there and it will be, it'll be adequate. Excellent. So we're coming up on time and I know that we had a, a hard stop at, at one hour. So I just want to be respectful. Is there any topics or things that we didn't get out there that you want to get out there to the world? You know, I think the one other topic I'd bring up and, and it's really one of my big motivations for Firefly is, you know, one of the most important things in the world and one of the blessings of being an American is, is opportunity. And that's why what America was founded on was opportunity. And this is obviously a currently a very hot um, political topic. Um, but for me, opportunity is about jobs. And, um, you know, we approach it in different ways. The government tries to get in, involved in, you know, building big government institutions and things to build, to, to create jobs. I think it's a wrong way to do it. I think the commercial sector is more, much more efficient in uh, providing more opportunities for more people. Um, my father was a 20th century auto worker, blue collar auto worker. And that provided a, a you know, really great, you know, lower middle class, maybe uh, environment, home environment for us where we could build a family, could have a home. And um, so one of my motivations for Firefly, and I did indeed one of my obligations, I think, is to create 21st century jobs. And that's what companies like Firefly and the other space companies are doing. The, the opportunities that my father had are completely different than the opportunities today. A lot of the opportunities that he was pursuing are offshore now. But space, aerospace, these are things that Americans are still preeminent in. And we can build superior companies to what anyone else in the world is doing. So I think that's the other big part of, of of space is uh, it, for some reason there's something intrinsic in everyone that makes space interesting. It's just kind of in our DNA, but uh, practically speaking, it creates uh, great opportunity for for the next generation, which is you know ultimately the jobs and that opportunity are, are foundational to families, which are foundational to democratic society. So 
some of the other big thing picture things I'd like to bring up. Oh, I like that. I didn't I didn't think about the importance of the family in relation to democratic society. That that's a good connection. Hmm. Are, any reading about that? Any books you like or any any <laughs> people you, you follow on that topic or this is just your unique thoughts? Yeah, no, I don't no, I I mean, maybe it's just self-evident, uh, um, but I just think experientially for me, I, I just have seen in my life how the world, the industrial world is, is, has changed. And again, I, 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 because, you know, the, the gifts, the skills that God's given me to do the technology and to build teams, uh, I feel like I have an obligation to use those skills to, to create really enriching, great jobs to provide you know money resources obviously but also just things to inspire people to make people happy about you know working on, on meaningful things that you know that affects everyone's mood and and, and environment that they're raising children and next generation in so i just i think it's it's super important yeah it, i was so glad that we we came across you had some blog post or a news release about your vehicles and when we saw it somebody came up in the pitch meeting like we should have this people this guy on check out these spacecrafts and <laughs> and i was so so i was so glad that we got to in, end up like connecting tom you're a fantastic person if there's anything that i could do or connections to past guests if you ever you know have news you want us to put out for you or whatever we can do to help uh just let me know we're we're on your team and we're here to help Really appreciate that, and I'll, I'll take you up on that. And and also, just uh, if you're going to be out here in Texas, please, and if you make it down to Austin, come come see us for sure, and we'll we'll show you around, show you some rockets running and stuff. It's it's pretty cool, <sighs> and I'd be glad to glad to share it with you anytime. That'd be so cool. Uh, do you guys are you guys going to live stream your launch uh, next? I want month? to. You know, there are lots of different camps out there about you know how discreet you want to be with things. The first launch you know, can be, it's a pretty precarious business, you know, things can go wrong. Um, but one of the core things I've tried to build with Firefly is that we're like the most transparent open company out there. I think it, 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 it's really beneficial. I think it draws people in because they get to see more of what actually happens behind the scenes. And I don't think it's embarrassing. You know, if we have a launch failure on the first flight, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's part of the business. And uh, I, I would like to live stream hundred percent of everything. It's not just my decision. So we'll see what happens, <laughs> but hopefully. Yeah. Well, I mean, if transparency is like a core culture, like component, you know, then that kind of answers your question. <laughs> yeah. I don't see why, why we should have anything to be embarrassed about. <laughs> no, I mean, it took SpaceX multiple it takes everybody multiple, like it takes, it takes time. It's a process. Nothing is perfect on day one. I mean, this is life people. Like I don't know what world they're living in, but everything is, it's a, it's a process. Yeah. You got to trust the process too and, and work through it. So. Yeah. Thanks. It was great meeting you. I look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thanks, man. Thanks. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.